I want to ask you if you would join with me as we stand. We're going to stand and we're going to, uh, to read from the scriptures this morning, the 13th chapter, the 18th verse. And so as we read this scripture this morning, it, it really is quite a, a, a testimony to John as he has written this, that you might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you now to hear the word of God. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very, very, very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to his disciples and said, to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. And when he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer, and you will look at for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I now tell you, or I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but when I think about betrayal, I, I, I get very angry. Don't you? 
Uh, no one likes to be betrayed, but the most amazing thing is that betrayal is never expected. It's something that always stings. I mean, real betrayal is that moment when you realize that someone or something you have trusted in wasn't worth the time or energy you placed, the trust that you gave. And so when you begin to think about this whole business of this passage, it becomes even more stinging in the realization that one of the 12 that Jesus had chosen by hand was going to betray him. And it's even more astounding when you think about what the definition of betrayal is. And if you are here this morning, you have probably been betrayed by someone. And so in realizing that, I'm probably going to stir within you, in your own heart, some memories that may not be pleasant to you. But when you look at the word betrayal or betray, it means literally to lead astray. What do I mean by that? Well, to lead astray literally is to, is to betray into a, a way of seducing people to believe something that isn't true. You could say uh, a nation is betrayed into violence. Uh, you could say that with uh, what's happened with Russia and Ukraine. There, there are people literally who have felt betrayed in Russia and are rushing to the borders of that country trying to get out before they're being brought into the service of Putin's army to continue the war with Ukraine. They don't want a part of it. They feel betrayed. The, the second def definition is to deliver an enemy to treachery. Well, what do we mean treachery? It's, it's to be betrayed by an authority or was betrayed by the authorities by one who was a student, meaning uh, someone who, who has spilled the beans, allowed someone who was, needy, who was in danger of being arrested to be found because, because they were doing something that was legal and the country wants to lock them up for doing something badly. And so the treachery, you could also turn that around, the treachery of someone in our nation who is a, uh, by the way, this, this disturbs me greatly, the two transgender uh, army uh, members of our, our nation that have recently been in the news, we have found out their treachery. They have been selling uh, information to the Russians. And you're kind of going, wow, what's going on with that? They're not the only ones. There are others who have been treacherous in their their allegiance to our nation. And, and we find that to be very disheartening. We get angry when we hear about it. But there's a, a third definition. It's to fail or to desert, especially in a time of need. What do we mean by that? Well, someone may betray their family, uh, his family, when they felt that, that they, were, they were being led down a path that they, uh, they didn't want to go, and their family forced them to do so. Um, or when someone has said to their parents, children, teenagers. I'll be home at 11 o'clock, mom, and they don't show up until three. That's a betrayal. There's a fourth one that really is quite unnerving. It's to reveal unintentionally. You ever said, oh, I shouldn't have said that? You ever said that to yourself? That's what we mean here. It is to show or to indicate something that shouldn't have been spoken. And so when you and I begin to think about betrayal and the sting of betrayal as we go through that definition and we could go into more in-depth talk about it, one of the things that you'll immediately recognize is that you have been betrayed in your life. It could be by a husband or a wife. It could be by your children. It could be by your boss. But here's the problem. If you're breathing breath this morning, 
you have not only been betrayed, you have betrayed someone. So, well, when did I do that? When you look at this definition and you begin to look at your life, how can you absolve yourself from your guilt? And the worst betrayal is the betrayal that we have with our relationship with God. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, you were created by God, and he created you for a purpose, and all of humanity has missed living up to that purpose. And so when you talk to your friends and you look at your, your neighbors in your community who, who I hope some of them will be coming tonight to this service to hear the gospel because they truly don't believe they need the gospel. But when you talk about betrayal and the seed of that problem, which is selfishness and greed and self-centeredness, betrayal is a problem that everyone in our country, everyone in our world struggles with because it is a betrayal of what God intended us to be. And so when you and I begin to think about this passage of Scripture, John is writing and he's saying, well, I'm writing this to you that you might believe in Christ. Why would you need to believe in Christ? Because you have betrayed God. And Christ came to reconcile you to Jesus, to, to God the Father. That was the whole purpose of his coming. But there's the question. How can anyone who has betrayed someone be reconciled? How can they ever be received once again? What really astounds me is when we come to this place in the gospel, we have to make a decision about Jesus because one of two things has happened. Either Jesus is betrayed or he has betrayed the disciples by leading them to believe he is the Messiah. It's one of the two. Up until this time, we have gone through the miracles he's performed that John has recorded for us, the last being the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And after that tremendous miracle, the Jews who did not believe in him not only hated him all the more, they wanted to kill him and Lazarus to remove any doubt in their mind that he was not from God. Because in their thinking, Jesus was betraying who God is to them. And in doing so, they were out to kill him. The most amazing thing is that he knew it. Why, he even knew who was going to betray him. If you go back to verse 18, he says, I am not referring to all of you. And he's referring back to the 17th verse, and I won't bother to go all the way back through the sermon we had last week, but he talks about how more than anything else, the time has come for him to be delivered. He's going to the cross. And part of that journey to the cross involves someone who is a part of his group who he's going to betray. And the most amazing thing is that it is a, someone who has been a part of his inner circle, the 12, the 12 disciples, who is going to give him over to being delivered to the cross. And so when you, you read this passage, one of the things that you were stunned with is, well, wait a minute, how could that be? How could Jesus be so blind that he would choose one person out of the 12 to betray him? What was in his thinking? What was in his state of mind to do such a thing? 
Why, if you go back to John chapter 6, you find in verse 7, he says, Have I not chosen all you twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Even there, he talked about it happening. When you go into the 12th chapter, the 13th chapter, Jesus repeatedly warned the disciples, and John records it for us in this way, that there was treachery among them, that someone in the ranks of their 12 was going to betray him. And at first you look at this and think, okay, why? How does that serve God's purpose? Remember, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all are bent toward betrayal. But this one who would be singled out would do so in the most absurd way. He would do it for money. And then Jesus reveals why this would happen. If you look in verse 18, it says, but this was to fulfill the passage of Scripture. Which one? It's, it's Psalms. It's in the Psalm. It's Psalm 41. 41, 9, where David cries out, and he is feeling so alone, so betrayed by people he once trusted. And in that verse, Jesus quotes and he says, I'm telling you, he who shares my bread has turned against me. What a powerful passage. Do you know what's really going on here? In such a short passage, Jesus pulls what in the Jewish mind is a huge memory of David's life. But more importantly, the person who was betraying was someone that was trusted, that was close, that was near, that should have known better. You say, well, why is he quoting from Psalm 41? Well, remember, the Messiah would be descended from David. He would be like David in the sense his reign, his, his coming, would be fulfilling what God had promised to David long ago in 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 7. That God would send through David's lineage a Savior who would come into the world to redeem those who had betrayed God had turned away from God, had sinned against God. And so David, when you look at the Old Testament and you see the quotes that the New Testament writers pull in from the Old Testament about David's life, the most amazing thing is every one of them focuses on the suffering and the weakness and the betrayal that David went through in his life. And they apply all of those things to Jesus' life. And they say, this is why Jesus is the Messiah. Because he fulfilled the scriptures. He was the one that God had told David would come who would suffer for his people. The passage that Jesus quotes even goes so far as to describe the kind of suffering. You see, for us, I, I, well, I love Italian food, don't you? The best part of Italian food is when they bring the olive oil and the bread before the meal, right? Everyone knows what you do with that, right? What do you do? You break the bread off, what do you do? And you dip it in where? The olive oil, don't you? Yeah. Well, in the, Middle East, in the Near East, that kind of hospitality was expected. And in fact, 
in that kind of setting, if someone was given a piece of bread and they were dipping in the same vessel that the host offered, it was considered a place of great honor. In other words, this person is declared to be very precious to the host. And Jesus took the bread and dipped it and said, whoever I give this to, that is the one who's going to betray me. And every one of those disciples, you knew, you knew as you hear this, that they were sitting there wondering, sweating from their brow, their palms breaking out in perspiration. Is Jesus going to hand me that piece of bread? And he handed it to Judas. And the scriptures, notice what it said. Every one of them was shocked. You say, well, wait a minute. Judas was a bad guy from the beginning. No, he, he wasn't. He was there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. <laughs> he was there when the man who couldn't see from birth had his eyes opened. He was there when all the other miracles had occurred. Well, then why him? Jesus said it was to fulfill the scriptures. That God had determined to use betrayal. Judas's betrayal to fulfill his purpose of redemption. It's really quite stunning, isn't it? In knowing this was going to happen, Jesus had predicted that there would be someone who would be a part of them who would come and betray him in such ways that it would not disturb God's plan for their future. In fact, one of the things that astounds me is that Jesus says it would have been better for this person not to have been born. Why? Because they were sending themselves into a place where they could never be redeemed. You see, it's, it's, it's truly betrayal when someone says, I believe in you and doesn't. Isn't that powerful? I mean, I've heard people tell me all the time, well, you know, if I could have just seen Jesus do those miracles, then I'd follow him. If I could have seen Jesus raised from the dead, if I could just know it really happened, then I would follow. And I think, oh my, what foolish statement that is. Because here's an example of someone who saw all of that and didn't believe. Which leads to the question, then what will cause someone to believe? What caused you to believe? Is it because you're so smart? So handsome? Because you were born in the right family? Because you were raised in the right church? What has caused you to believe in Christ? Was it you? And the obvious answer is no. God did this. You see, that is what the gospel declares is that God who is rich in mercy when we did not deserve even the thought of Christ opened your heart to hear and believe in the Son that he has sent. And to the world, the world, the cross is foolishness. It's ridiculous to believe in them. 
Jewish carpenter who died years ago. That's absolutely ridiculous, the world says. But to those of us who are believing, it is the redemption and the salvation that God has revealed. How powerful is that? Even Paul in Romans says, God has taken what the world has said is wise and showed how foolish it is and taken the foolishness of the world and in the wisdom of God, he has brought his son into the world. And it's just glorious that our God would do this. One of the things I forgot to mention that, that the scripture goes on to say that this person who would betray, Jesus says it in this way. He quotes it as, has turned against me. That's the quote he gives from Psalm 41. The Hebrew literally means, has made his heel great against me. Great against me. I think about, what, what does that mean? He's made his heel great against me. Well, the only time we really kind of use our heels is, is we think about maybe the kick of a horse. I was watching someone taking care of a horse the other day, and, and the horse literally kicked back. And, buddy, I wouldn't have wanted to be in the way of that hoof for anything in my life. And the imagery there is that Judas, like a kick of a horse, kicked Jesus away. That's how strong the betrayal was. How did Jesus handle it? He betrayed, uh, he prepared for it. If you look in verse 19, it's really quite powerful. He prepared for it in this way. He said to the disciples, I have not only known this, he goes on and says, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Now, is that a mistake that it's written that way, that I am who I am? Because if you go back in John and you look at where John gives us an identity of who Jesus is, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And even if you go further back to when Moses was before the burning bush in the Old Testament and God was revealing his name to Moses, Moses said, who do I say has sent me? And God said, tell them I am. Do you see it? And so as Jesus is teaching about this and showing them, the most amazing thing is he begins to once again hold himself up for those who would believe that he is indeed the one that God has sent into the world. And not only has he come into the world to bring salvation, Jesus is anticipating something even more glorious that's going to happen when he goes to the cross. When he goes to the cross, he will die there on the cross for our sins, but that will not be the end of the story. In fact, he even alludes to that when he says, Very truly I tell you in verse 20, Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. What is he talking about? Well, you will remember that when Jesus was raised from the dead, what happens? The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, and I'm baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you always. You hear that? You hear that? You see, even here, Jesus is preparing the disciples for what's going to happen, not just at his betrayal and death, but at his resurrection and glorification. It's quite, quite amazing that Christ would be so kind to reveal this because in the midst of the sting of betrayal, it would be very easy for the disciples to run away and never come back. And yet he is so genuinely caring for the disciples. 
he began to teach them, even at this point, that he was never out of control in the midst of the betrayal. Never. But if you go to verse 21, you do find the sting. Now remember, he chose Judas. He knew that Judas would betray him. He even called him a devil. Notice in verse 21, it says, After he had said this, Jesus was troubled. Why would he be troubled? Because of betrayal. Paul writes later in the New Testament that we are to be careful that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know you have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit? Did you know that? What, what could grieve the Holy Spirit? Unbelief. Do you know the song, Jesus loves me, this I know? Do you know that? Remember that? What's the, what's the refrain? Yes, sing it with me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Do you believe that? Are you fully convinced, completely in your heart and mind that you know that when you received Christ, God loves you. And even before you receive Christ, he loves you. The real problem we face, isn't it, is that we sometimes don't believe that. And we act out like children trying to test our parents by trying to do things to see if they'll notice. I remember as we were riding across the country, my father had a great fear of flying in an airplane. He served in the army as a, an infantryman, and he swore, I think, at that point when he flew in a helicopter with some crazy pilot, he'd never get off the ground again. Jim smiling, he must have ridden in the same helicopter. Well, my father, because of that, decided to drive all the way to Seattle, Washington, through Lubbock, Texas. Do you know how long of a trip that is? With three kids in the back seat. And I'll never forget, we were bored. Children never get bored, by the way, do they? We were bored. And as we were bored, we were sitting in the back seat, and there were lines in the seat that kind of marked where the cushion was being sewn and I'll never forget that I was sitting in the middle and my brother was on one side and my sister was on the other. They're both older than I am. They got to look out of a window and I had to sit in the middle, kind of like bored. So in the midst of that boredom, I said to myself, I am just so angry because no one is letting me have my way. So I'd look at my mom and dad and observe them as they were watching the front of the car and I waited until no one was looking and then I'd punch my brother and I would time it in such a way that when I punched him I knew that my dad would look up in the mirror the mirror, and right at that moment my brother would turn around and just belt me and my dad would say 
Charlie, my brother. And he would dissolve into tears, and I'd be sitting in the middle going, yes. And then a few more hours down the road, my sister would be looking out the window, and I would go over and take my fingernail and dig it right into her outer thigh and pinch as hard as I could. And I would time it in such a way that she'd reach around and she'd slap the fool out of me. And mom would turn around and just chastise her. And then I'd go, yes. Do you know parents are smart? They figure you out pretty quickly. About the fourth time that happened, my dad had me tied to the top of the car with ropes. <laughs> just teasing, not literally. My point is... When you struggle with your sins, you are betraying the thought that maybe Jesus doesn't love you. You see, he knows your heart. He knows the things that are tempting you. And he says, I can give you salvation if you will come to me. And sometimes I don't want to believe. The Bible says be careful of your heart because it can be hardened to the place where you will not come to him. That's the only thing that betrayed Judas was he would not come to Jesus. He hung himself. The glory of all of this is that this God who we serve loves us so much that he loves you so much that he knows the condition of your heart and he desires that you understand his suffering was for your sake and that glory was to be revealed in the cross. That on that cross he bore our iniquities for us so that we would be able once and for all to turn away from a life of betrayal where we betray God and we begin to passionately pursue and love God. And without Christ you'll never be able to do it. Without Jesus Christ living in you, you will never have any desire to do that. Which is why the necessity of the cross becomes all that much more important because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And yet with the shedding of his blood, God covers our sins and completely frees us from their penalty and the dominion of the devil. And when someone takes hold of that truth and they gets into the deepest recesses of their heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, something changes. What changes? Well, Jesus refers to it. He refers to it in this way. He says the purpose of his coming was to free us from that. But more importantly, he wants us to understand that the disciples can't go where he's going because the cross is his work for us. They can't go with him because it's his work for us. And so that means you can't go with that whole mentality that somehow you can pay the penalty for your sins. You can't. It would require your life. The most astounding thing is that as you look at this, that he goes on to say because of what he's getting ready to do, he is now, before it ever happened, giving a new commandment to the disciples. And what is this new commandment? Love one another. What? It's a new commandment, but it's not breathtakingly new. Why? It was in the Old Testament as, as it was in the new that Jesus gave. Then why does Jesus say it's new? 
Well, D.A. Carson in his, his commentary, The Gospel According to John, says it this way. Its newness is bound up not only in the new standard that we are to love as Jesus has loved you. But then he goes on to say, but with a new order, it is both mandates and exemplifies. What is he saying? This is the new expectation that Christ has of you who have been raised with him from the dead. That you would now begin to live a life where you would resist the temptation to betray others for your own grandiose, selfish ambitions. And you would begin to abandon any hope you have of anything except Jesus. And that as you come to know this love that he has for you, you would begin to exhibit that same love he has given you to others. And in this new covenant, your, your, in this new covenant, your heart would be transformed. Here's how Jeremiah described it in the 31st chapter. He said, in those days, people will no longer say, uh, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own... Everyone, Everyone will die for their own sins, and whoever eats our grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. No longer will it be said that. No. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors and took them out of the land of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though, it was, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. And here's where Jesus is fulfilling it. He says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, know the Lord, know the Lord. Why? Because they will know me from the least of them to the greatest. Do you hear this? That this knowledge of God will not be based on some ink and paper that we have to memorize. It will be a powerful spirit of God in our lives that will lead us deeper in knowing Christ. The God who has revealed himself in flesh. Ezekiel puts it this way. For I will take out of the nations... I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and, I will, I, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You hear it? What glorious, glorious work that God has done. That he would take people like us who know how to betray and be betrayed. And he would begin to change us in such ways that we would begin to endeavor to emulate. To live out a life that follows the example of Christ. This is why Jesus astoundingly told in, his, in the Gospels that we're to love our enemies. How in the world do you love an enemy? Only by the Spirit of God. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Only through the help of the Comforter. And in that way, God is revealing to us that those who believe in Christ will be transformed in their heart. Judas would never experience that because he did not want to. He did not seek it. He did not desire it. 
You say, well, was he the only one? No, he wasn't. Notice after telling the disciples that they cannot go where Jesus is going, that he's getting ready to be delivered. He doesn't tell them the, the intricate facts of what he's, what's going to happen, but he does inform them that what they expected of him was not going to happen. They wanted a conquering king who would overthrow the Romans. He was going to give them a king who would supply a way of salvation that would take away their sins. And they could not understand that. And Peter, looking at Jesus, said, Lord, where are you going? Man, I'll die for you. And Jesus says, will you, Peter? This is the last betrayal. I don't know if you've thought about that as you read the Bible, but this is, this is the place where the betrayal is so easily missed that it wasn't just Peter who abandoned Jesus. All of them fled. When he was arrested in the garden, all of them left. None of them stuck around. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. <sighs> Haven't you ever had that temptation? Someone says to you, do you, do you believe in Jesus? What do you say? Our culture has come to the place where people make fun of you if you truly believe in Christ these days. Did you notice that? You high school students, college students, you go to your classes and you talk about Jesus Christ in a loving term and people will not just tolerate you, they will turn on you. Why? Because they have hearts that betray themselves. They do not want to know God. And it is our prayer that they will. This is why your witness becomes so powerful in our ages. Because as you trust and love the Lord with all your heart, you become a shining example to our community. As you love people who hate you, you become a shining example to people in our community that there really is a Jesus and he does change hearts. When you forgive those who asked you to forgive and you truly forgive them you become shining examples of the power of the cross but it's really not you is it it's Jesus it's Jesus at work in you he is the one who receives the glory the honor the power the praise because he's the one who's transformed your heart isn't that glorious? You know the greatest thing I can say about myself? Nothing. Except that Jesus so loved me. He forgave me. He cleansed me. And I didn't deserve it. Not one time. As we come to this table, we come to celebrate that truth. As Logan leads us through the institution, it's a reminder. We don't come to this table because we're deserving. We come because we were invited. We come because he has made a way for us to truly be transformed. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, as we bow before you, we thank you that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. 
come, Jesus, during this meal and let us feast upon that glory, the glory of the Son who came and gave himself for us. We ask and we pray. And the people of God said together,